Hello and welcome to the Friday, September 3rd, pre-Labor Day edition of On Iowa Politics. This week starts with A, Afghanistan, abortion, and Ankeny. But first, B for Bernie Sanders, who may or may not have won the 2020 Democratic caucuses, was back in Cedar Rapids for a rally last Sunday to uh, gather support for his $3.5 trillion budget. He estimated the crowd at 700, which was more than double the number his staff gave him moments before he took the stage. It was uh, a bit like a preseason game. People in the crowd seemed to enjoy themselves, but without the energy and passion of a real campaign rally. On the other hand, the 700 or so folks who showed up there, Representative Ashley Hinton's barbecue bash the day earlier, were enthusiastic as they gobbled up red meat and barbecue, perhaps because they haven't had much to cheer about since November. GOP Senators Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio made the rounds in Iowa this week, raising funds for their friends and raising their political profiles. I guess they're counting on Iowa being first in the nation again. Look for more on that this weekend in the Gazette and Lee newspapers. And Ohio Jim Jordan, Representative Jim Jordan, who some have suggested ought to run for president, was scheduled to join Chuck Grassley at a Democratic fundraiser in the Polk County area. Uh, Jordan opposed the certification of the 2020 election and has repeatedly referred to January 6th as, quote, the ultimate date of significance. I'm sure Abby Finkenauer will have something to say about that appearance. Grassley's appearance with every potential Republican presidential candidate continued to fuel the speculation of whether he will or won't run for re-election. And Governor Kim Reynolds announced her fourth annual Harvest Festival will be September 25th, a fitting time for her to announce her re-election plans, um, which, unlike Grassley's, do not seem to be in doubt. Good morning. I'm James Lynch from the Cedar Rapids Gazette. With me today are Tom Barton of the Quad City Times. Good morning, Todd. Good. Did you say Todd or Tom? Tom. T O M Tom. <laughs> Sorry. Good morning. Good 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 morning, James. Uh, and Amy Rivers of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Amy. The fourth A. Good morning, James. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Aaron Murphy, State House Bureau Chief for Lee Newspapers. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning from Aaron with an E, unfortunately, breaking the street. And Gazette Opinion Editor Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. You can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Iowa Politics wherever you find your podcast. First up today, Afghanistan. Two things most Americans seem to agree on, uh, that after 20 years it was time to leave Afghanistan. And secondly, President Joe Biden's opinion notwithstanding, that the withdrawal of American troops, Americans, uh, including troops and Afghan allies, uh, left a lot to be desired. Republicans have seized on the chaos and death of American Marines, saying it showed the Biden administration was inept and that countries of our own world would now question America's credibility and reliability as an ally. At a Republican gathering over the weekend, I heard calls of traitor and impeach him whenever the topic came up, which it did frequently. Uh, Senator, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell stated the obvious, the president not going to be removed from office with a Democratic House. There isn't going to be an impeachment. Second District Representative Marionette Miller-Meeks, a 24-year Army veteran, um, called the withdrawal a travesty, and she also called for President Biden to resign. Tom, um, that seems as unlikely as an impeachment, but uh, what's her case for resignation? 
Yeah, so she argues that the administration's withdrawal from Afghanistan has been a failure that uh, has ended in needless deaths and injuries, uh, destabilized the region, abandoned Afghan allies, and as you mentioned, eroded America's credibility and reliability as an ally on the global stage. Um, and emboldened a uh, oppressive Taliban regime that had, she argues, had been pushed to the periphery and rural areas of the country that has, you know, now taken over control of the country um, and also has a new war chest of U.S. provided firearms, armored vehicles, aircraft and military drones that uh, have been left behind by fleeing Afghan forces. Um, as such, she argues that that has demonstrated that Biden is unfit to continue to serve as uh, commander in chief. So far, we haven't heard uh, other Iowa Republicans, uh, Senators Grassley and Ernst or uh, Representative Ashley Hinson or Randy Feenstra join her, although there have been some other Republicans around the country who have joined Miller Meeks and calling for the president to resign. Amy, you asked um, Representative Hinson this morning about that. Um, she didn't endorse the idea. No, <laughs> I mean, she didn't not endorse it. I think um, she's thinking right now she just wants to have, um, I think, a lot of different conversations about, okay, who's still left in there um, as, as far as American citizens? What is still left there as far as, um, you know, the equipment that was left behind. Um, do we even have a good accounting of that? Um, how much is that worth? Can we get that back? Is this going to embolden the Taliban and by extension um, ISIS or other terrorist organizations, um, um, especially coming onto the eve of September 11th, um, which um, she says are all questions that are being asked by Democrats as well as Republicans. So she thinks this has really broad support. So that's really what she's pushing right now rather than um, asking for the president to resign. Todd, as upset as Republicans are about Afghanistan, and, and some of them are talking about how this really presents an opening for the 2022 midterm elections, will anyone care about it a year from now? Or will concerns about coronavirus, the you know inflation, the $3.5 trillion budget, and abortion politics, um, as well as who knows what future crisis overshadow the end of the war in some faraway place where few Americans cared about. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it, I think it will be an election issue. I mean, of course, Republicans are gonna are gonna push it as an election issue. You're gonna see ads showing the the Taliban, you know, standing next to helicopter American helicopters and equipment and and things like that. I mean, they're they're definitely going to sort of try to tie Democratic candidates to the to the president's problems on on the withdrawal and. And yeah, but all these other things will matter too. So I don't know, you know, where it will fall in the in priority list of voters. And you're right, there could be some new crisis that we haven't even thought of that could, I mean, that's how elections are. You never quite know what's going to happen. Uh, that's why when you're sort of strategizing, fighting the last election, it, you, you sometimes get surprised and, and the old strategies don't work. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think it, it will be an issue. And it will also depend on what happens in Afghanistan. I mean, if if Al-Qaeda or another terrorist organization reconstitutes itself and, and launches some sort of attack in Europe or, you know, even in the United States, I think that will, of course, make it a huge issue. So I guess we'll, we'll have to see. 
I was reading just the other day that in exit polls uh, after recent elections, foreign policy generally doesn't rate above fourth or fifth on people's you know, list of priorities. It seems that our interest in foreign policy is very short-lived. Like right now, we're concerned about Afghanistan, but by next week, we'll be talking about college football and, and uh, <laughs> you know, something else. Uh, we can talk uh, about college football right now if you want to. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's you know, but that's what the Biden folks are hoping is that yeah. that the that the anger over the the chaotic withdrawal will fade and that it'll be replaced by the support for ending the war. But I mean, right. that's and, you know, that's their that's and that's why they're so forcefully still defending the decision and not admitting mistakes. And that, that, that poll is interesting to me, James. And I, I was just talking about this with some colleagues because I, I sometimes self-reflect on the caucuses and when the candidates come through here and the, the questions we try to ask them to try and help readers determine who would make a good president. And, and sometimes I think we get caught up in stuff that really are questions more for Congress because it's so, you know, it's things that would have to go through legislation anyway. So if you think about the, the one arena where a president really does have a ton of authority, it's foreign policy, you know? And, and then, so, so to hear that poll that when thinking about a president, foreign policy is like fourth or fifth. I, I worry that we don't, and I, I, I include myself on that list that we don't always have our kind of focus maybe where it should be when we're not thinking about our uh, chief executive. Right. Right. Well, and to Todd's point, uh, you know, some of the Biden not the administration, but Biden supporters were, were pointing out, you know, just like a, a couple days after, uh, you know, basically uh, everything went uh, whatever in Afghanistan, that the headlines in almost every major newspaper were about coronavirus. And, and, and maybe Afghanistan was on the front page, but it was low on the page. It, it wasn't leading the news. Um, so they felt like in some way, they were they were winning on that issue because they weren't uh, leading the news with it. Uh, and Amy, uh, this is pretty early in Biden's tenure as president, and it seems like that he'll have plenty of opportunities to screw up, uh, at least enough to, to make Republicans upset or to get some important things done before he leaves office. Um, how do you think this will be remembered in history? Is this just a blip, or it, will this be a defining moment? I think um, what Tad said was also um, key. Like, if if the Taliban, um, either themselves or or emboldening other terrorist organizations, causes another terror attack, um, that's going to be a really easy line for Republicans to draw directly to um, the manner of withdrawal by Biden. Um, if there is um, something that happens within the military structure um, negatively as a result of this, um, or they're having recruitment problems in the military as a result of this, um, things like that that could um, be tied directly to Biden. So it, it sort of depends on, I guess, the next several months um, to a couple of years just to see how it all shakes out. If this is all that comes of it, you know, and not that losing 13 service members is nothing, but um, if basically nothing else huge comes out of it, then yeah, I can see that um, we're more excited about other issues down the line that come through in his presidency. The issue that we're excited about this week uh, is the Supreme Court ruling on abortion, letting stand the Texas uh, law that is uh, almost a complete ban on abortion. Um, 
And there have been some questions and some polling to indicate the Democrats were not as enthusiastic as Republicans as we head into the 2022 midterm elections. Um, the long anticipated but chaotic withdrawal from Afghanistan buoyed those on the right that saw that as another Biden decision Democrats would have to defend at their own peril. Um, but this week seems to have changed that uh, with the Supreme Court decision. The law also puts the responsibility for enforcement not on the Texas Rangers, but on citizens who can bring suit against anyone providing an abortion or in any way facilitating abortion. The responses from the fundraising organizations on all sides has been predictable, as predictable as a showdown on the issue of abortion in the wake of changes we've seen on the court and the aggressive approaches taken by anti-abortion forces in Texas and elsewhere, including Iowa. Um, so Todd, is this the 2022 game changer um, or uh, just a continuation of a five decade old culture war? Well, you know, I think it, it certainly gives a harder edge, a harder, uh, you know, ideological edge to the legislative and gubernatorial race, because if you're looking at the Supreme Court and assuming that what they did in the Texas case is a harbinger of, uh, you know, overturning Roe versus Wade, uh, then the only protect only protection that you that your right to an abortion will have is is the legislatures and governors that are willing to you know to to put that protection into law or at least not pass laws that that take it away. So yeah, that's I mean Democrats are going to have I mean that, that's a that's a a pretty solid electoral argument if you're if you're going after you know we hear a lot about the suburban women voters and. And people that you know came came around and voted for Democrats in, in 2018. Uh, this is certainly going to be a focus, and and you know and and in this case, it's it's no longer just you know it seems like it's it's now it's not going to be just a hypothetical. You've got this case. You've got the Supreme Court weighing in, basically allowing this law to stand. I know they didn't. They they said that they weren't. You know, this wasn't a judgment on its constitutionality, but I mean, the fact remains that the law is in place. And I think that, you know, I think suddenly this has become real for a lot of people that that we're going to go back to to a, a situation pre row in which states can can ban abortion. And, you know, a lot of people maybe don't remember what that was like. Uh, I don't. I was very young. <laughs> so but we've you know, we hear the stories of, you know, what people abortions don't stop happening. They just are driven you know, underground, and then then you've got safety and and all sorts of other concerns, and and the, th the thought of going back to that is is going to be pretty difficult for a lot of voters to swallow. It's going to motivate conservative voters too, because they see their their big objective is almost in hand. So, but I, I do I do think it's net positive probably for Democratic candidates because it gives them a a very you know serious issue to to argue for voting for Democrats. Aaron, um, I was no stranger to the battle over abortion rights. And at the moment, the Republican trifecta at the Capitol gives the anti-abortion forces the upper hand. And, and every legislative session, there's sort of a what next question. And it seems we've seen every conceivable attempt to limit abortion in Iowa, personhood legislation, the heartbeat bill and more. Um, given this decision in the Texas case, should we just expect anti-abortion folks here to cut and paste the Texas law? Uh, we could see something like that, but uh, what we saw this week and maybe is more the direction 
that they're heading in Iowa is um, a group of, and, and I believe the number was 60, forgive me if I'm wrong with that off the top of my head, 60 Republican legislators between the House and the Senate um, signing on to um, um, a, a document asking the Iowa Supreme Court to um, overturn its 2018 ruling on an, on an abortion case. And that was the three-day waiting period bill that that um, the Supreme Court not only struck down, but in doing so um, kind of it, it essentially said that um, having access to an abortion is essentially a, a, a guaranteed right um, under the Iowa Constitution. And that ruling, because of the way that was um, described, because of the way the court explained its ruling, um, made it very unlikely that any future court would uphold any other similarly restrictive abortion law. So uh, it looks like for now, because and I, and I guess that makes sense because even let's say the U.S. Supreme Court um, overturns Roe versus Wade. Uh, to your point, James, then that turns it back to the states. Well, in Iowa right now, um, we have that ruling that would still make it difficult for uh, a future court to uphold anything. So uh, so um, it looks like at this point, anyways, the Iowa Republicans route is to try to get the Iowa Supreme Court to reverse that ruling, which then would open the door in Iowa for more restrictive abortion laws. I think they kind of see the writing on the wall that right now, because of that ruling, because of that precedent, any bill, whether it's a copy of the Texas bill or something else, they're going to have a hard time getting to hold up in court. The writing on the wall right now, Amy, seems to be uh, the question that will be on the 2022 ballot asking voters whether that the state constitution guarantees a right to an abortion. Uh, it'll be a referendum. Uh, uh, and the voters will decide it um, a little more than a year from now. Uh, it, it seems likely that is going to supercharge the battle over abortion rights. And in the wake of the Texas, Texas decision, could this overshadow everything else on the ballot in Iowa, the races for the U.S. Senate, the House, governor? I get a sense that yes. Um, when you know, when we go out and we talk to voters during like campaign events, um, one of my big questions is always like, "What are your you know top issues?" Like when you're looking at candidates, for example, and almost all the time from Democrats, I'm hearing reproductive rights. From Republicans, I'm I'm hearing abortion in the mix. There, I mean, these are these are huge issues, and it's it's always been that way, as Todd mentioned. Um, so yeah, I think putting a constitutional issue on the ballot is really going to be um, a big, big deal. And it's really going to force um, candidates also on the ballot to sort of take a stand um, one way or the other. Um, I asked Ashley Hinson, you know, about um, whether Iowa would should pass a law similar to Texas's, you know, with that same language, you know, and, and things like that. And, and she said, you know, her focus really is on the Hyde Amendment, which of course um, bans taxpayers from um, paying for abortion in her words. Um, so basically right now she's, she's sort of taking a, let's wait and see. I'm not going to take like a firm stance either way on the issue. Let's see where it all shakes out. But I really think, um, next fall that's going to change. Um, there's going to have to be strong stands that are going to be taken by these candidates because it really is going to supercharge it for voters on both sides of the aisle. And, and, and James, I think you say it 
Yeah, I think your question is framed perfectly. It's almost like it's going to be another race on the on you know. Yeah. And it's going to be just as big as the other elections at, at the top of the ticket. Um, it's because of how much it drives, um, to Amy's point, how much it drives interest and motivation in voters. And to get almost everyone in the loop here to Todd's point earlier, um, I think this is, could be, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But, you know, we always hear about the people, obviously, who are the most passionate on both sides of abortion. And, and we often forget that there's all this whole mass of people who just go about their everyday lives and don't get involved in politics and don't scream on Twitter every time something like this comes up, but they also have a, a strong feeling on this issue. They don't, they just don't go around <clears throat> talking about it on Twitter and in, in newspaper articles. Um, and, and they'll be voting too. And, and this issue will be on their minds too. And when you see public polling, generally it tends to sh trend towards people are more likely to support access the right to at least have an abortion, whether, however they feel, you know, personally on the topic, polling pretty consistently shows that, that um, Iowans and Americans favor the, op the, the option to at least to have an abortion. So it will be interesting to see if that holds true or, you know, like I said, this will be just like any other election race. There will be a campaign over this specifically. We'll have ads and, and all that stuff. It'll be interesting to see if that, you know, campaign moves the needle one way or the other. Well, in the the uh, the Supreme Court decision or not non-decision or whatever you want to call it, I mean, it really raises the stakes and it's going to be a lot more difficult for the Republicans who support this amendment to continue sort of portraying it as this kind of benign thing to, to level the playing field. They're not trying to, I mean, there've been arguments that, though this isn't about banning abortion, we just want to make sure that this is in the constitution. And, and so they're going to have a hard time arguing that now because everybody knows what's, what's at stake and that's legal abortion. And so they're going to, they're going to have to campaign for it as, as that and not kind of try to, you know, make it sound like it's not, not that bad. I want to go back to something Aaron said. You said there are people who aren't like laser focused on politics all of the time. <laughs> who are these? Can you even imagine? It's, it's ridiculous. Look, lucky sons of, you know what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> college football. College football. College football. <laughs> uh, well, continuing in the A's, let's talk about a special election coming up later this month in Ankeny. It's. Uh, Special, not least of all, because that's where Aaron Murphy hangs it out. Um, Aaron, this race pits Iowa Democratic Party activists against a guy who has served in the Branstead and Reynolds administrations. In fact, he resigned as Reynolds director of the Department of Management to run for a $25,000 a year part-time job. Ankeny is one of those uh, fast-growing suburban districts where Democrats have cut into Republican margins in recent elections and hope to flip from red to blue. Um, should we be paying attention to this race? Is it going to tell us anything about the race for the state house in 2022? So, so there was two questions there, and I think the answers are yes and no. Um, <laughs> does it? And I'll answer the latter first. Does it portend anything for 2022 in the state house? Probably not. Um, 
the folks who uh, uh, really know their stuff on this usually caution of, um, against um, extrapolating too much from a special election. This, they're, they're low turnout. They're just one district. Uh, it, it very rarely means anything bigger picture uh, moving forward. Now, that said, there are very much reasons to watch this uh, with interest. And, and some of them you kind of noted the way this district has been growing and, and, and moved um, in recent years. Um, if, uh, of course, and I'll preface this with we're going to have redistricting and the district's going to be completely different anyway. So take what I'm going to say over the next 30 seconds and probably throw it out the window next week. But um, it, it has been interesting and it, ha it has been getting a little more blue, but it's also flipped back and forth. Um, I, I've sh uh, not this one specifically, but the other Ankeny district, uh, they actually picked off a Republican incumbent a couple years ago. And then in, and then in 2020, uh, Republicans won it back. Um, so it has been an interesting area in that sense. And, and there's also, uh, it's one of those districts where local issues may be at play as much as statewide issues. Um, Ankeny was ground zero throughout, uh, last year. Uh, for the whole house schools um, operate during the pandemic um, thing. They had what I actually, and this is just my personal opinion, I'll uh, put that out, is what I thought was actually a pretty clever um, and, um, um, approach by going hybrid, which was every other day, um, you know, in person versus at home and on the computer, uh, which I kind of thought tried to thread that needle between you know, you don't have you only have half your kids in the building, so the, you can socially distance a little more, but you're not all online, so kids are still getting to come to school and get that person to person. I thought it was kind of an elegant solution, but there was a certain segment of the population that felt very strongly otherwise, and 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 again, it became ground zero for that whole battle, and and that issue may have seeped into some of these state house races last year, and it may play on voters' minds even still. Uh, this year we. The governor is uh, supporting a local school board candidate in Ankeny now. That that's 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 where we are here in this suburb. So so it's interesting for for uh, some of those reasons. And and then the campaigns interesting. You mentioned Michael Busolo, and he's a government bureaucrat running against uh, the idea of government bureaucrats. If you've seen his ad. <laughs> Uh, which is an interesting take. And then I, 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 I thought one of the Democratic ads, um, and I got to confess now off the top of my head, I'm not sure if, if it's a Phillips campaign ad herself. Andrea Phillips is the Democratic candidate. I can't remember if it's her campaign ad or maybe a group that's supporting her. My hunch is it's more likely the second. I apologize for not knowing that off the top of my head. But there is an ad that is essentially running against Kim Reynolds, not against Michael Busolo. So Democrats kind of learning from the Republican playbook of, you know, no, no Democratic member of the House runs um, uh, against, you know, they're not the candidate. Nancy Pelosi is in all those in Republican ad campaigns. And, and so Democrats kind of trying that here in this state district. And, and, and I think that's an interesting uh, track and, and it will, it'd be interesting to see if that's effective here. So a lot of really interesting reasons to watch this little uh, one seat out of 100 race here. Uh, but but no, uh, I don't think it's something that we'll be able to say, well, this happened, so watch for this in 2022. Unless you win. And then, and then it, it's, it, it foreshadows what's going to happen in 2022. Right, yeah. right absolutely. That is what we'll hear in the press release. Clearly, Iowans are ready for fill in the blank.
Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, that's it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. Uh, if you enjoy the podcast, tell a friend and subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast. Send fan mail to podcasts at thegazette.com. And you can find us on the home pages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Porch Builder will take us out. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file and subscribe to On Iowa Politics. And hey, before we go, I just want to say I know it's been a tough uh, few weeks here with Afghanistan, bad weather, feeling the stress, getting the kiddos back to school and dealing with masks and vaccines. So what do you say? Take a long weekend, courtesy of On Iowa Aww. Politics. Very <laughs> <laughs> generous. <laughs> for Aaron, Tom, Amy, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. Stay well. <laughs>